Hello and a warm welcome to this week's edition of Economy Unplugged. To November Mark Pender, stateside, and I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. Well, lockdown was last week named by the folks at the Collins English Dictionary as their word of the year. A very appropriate but no less depressing comment on the current state of the world. Ever forward looking, financial markets have found some fresh support in Moderna's announcement on Monday of another potentially even more efficient COVID-19 vaccine. But both its and the Pfizer version will still arrive too late to offer any meaningful support for the global economy this quarter. Indeed, for many countries, it will be a good result if national GDP growth can keep its head above water. So, Mark, the US economy certainly seems to be holding up better than, well, most of Europe anyway. And that just views on the virus and tightening restrictions. You've just had a good wodge. Yes. Uh, what do they tell us about the, the likelihood of this outperformance continuing? Well, uh, it's centered in retail goods. Uh, we had retail sales today and they were um, the headline looked a little on the soft side. But if you, if you dig through the numbers, you'll see that it's uh, 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 it was a very solid report. 0.3% uh, overall, but relative to uh, Feb February now, uh, sales are up 4.9%. Uh, so that 4.9%, it's that's a that's not a bad Decent number, number any yeah. year. Yeah. yeah. And um, the vehicles are doing uh, very well this year, uh, and uh, of course, non-store retailers, e-commerce, uh, are uh, are doing very very well. And um, building materials are doing very well. Housing, we had the housing market index today, which is the U.S. home builders. They're just having, they're just having the best time of all time. And uh, their numbers have been already were already through the roof, and now have even gone more through the roof. Um, this really has to raise concerns of a bubble here. Uh, the Federal Reserve downplays what's going on in the housing sector, whether it's the uh, commentaries, uh, Fed speak or whether it's the beige books assessment of economic conditions they're you know the low interest rates uh, uh, tied uh, uh, in part to their asset purchases QE um, as long as well as their um, target uh, federal funds rate which is sitting just about uh, at zero there and of course the you know uh, the demographic uh, changes relative to uh, COVID are really making housing uh, um, uh, an, an extraordinary sector, but in any case, uh, let's uh, turning back to uh, retail sales. Um, uh, uh, that's why the building materials have been doing very well. That's tied to home improvements, so uh, it's the hearth and home uh, play, I guess. Uh, restaurants, of course, are not doing so well, and and that'll move us now into the idea of services because services uh, spending on services have uh, been in contraction in contrast to goods, and so the money uh, that consumers are spending there, they're sp <clears throat> excuse me, they're spending on goods. However. Uh, these goods are not helping industrial production much at all. We also had those data out, and uh, there's still uh, production is still in contraction uh, relative to uh, February, uh, at five point uh, five point six percent still, and these are volumes, uh, and so that's looking the other that that's in the opposite degree of retail sales. So it's a mixed performance in the U.S. Uh, centered in uh, uh, 
goods consumption and in housing. And, but also, without any inflation pressures, we also had import and export prices today. They were uh, very benign, flat, still slightly negative on the year. And that's not going to help the Federal Reserve lift uh, lift interest rates. It's, it's an interesting contrast. You, you, you know, uh, uh, however much... Uh, asset prices in the stock market are inflated, and however much home prices are inflated, and these are important prices, uh, other prices are not inflated at all. And, and so uh, it's, you know, it's a centered, if you own uh, financial assets, if you own a house, not everyone does. Uh, you're doing very, very well. You're running off in an inflation bubble. If, if you're not in that group, you're having a very, very bad time. So, yeah, and I guess that's very much the same sort of picture we're seeing really unfolding across Europe. It's just that um, where we have seen the rebounds, you mentioned with your um, your sales data being another decent report in pretty well right across Europe on the whole. We've seen retail sales now you know, round about their February levels, if not a little bit firmer. So that's you know, generally speaking, good news for the retail sector as a whole. But as you also mentioned, I'm the services side of things continues to struggle. And obviously with the lockdown we have in place now across most of Europe, uh, figures for services for October and probably a good chunk of November are going to look pretty horrible as well. So I suppose put that little lot together and it helps to explain why the, why the GDP numbers over here are certainly underperforming what we're seeing on your side at the moment. And indeed, I mean, as we speak, there's um, some countries coming out talking about the possibility of extending the existing lockdown. So more into December time. I mean, uh, where I live in, in the UK, December the 2nd is supposed to be the end of the current four-week period of lockdown. But from the way the COVID numbers are headed at the moment, it looks as if they do actually you know, pull the plug on the lockdown. The restrictions that replace it are going to be so aggressive that for a lot of people, they're not really going to notice the difference. And I guess the, the net net of all this lot, little lot is for policies for us, Europe's concerned, is that there's been, I suppose, even in the case of the last week or so, something of a shift in the way the ECB is talking now. And it's not a case of a, a, the ECB discussing openly, you know, perhaps the possibility of additional stimulus next month. Uh, their last meeting of the year is going to be on uh, December the 10th, but rather what shape it will take. And uh, just last Thursday, we had the ECB president, Christine Lagarde, you know, saying that policymakers are likely to focus on emergency bond purchases, which is probably tantamount to indicate. And it's going to be the uh, the pandemic emergency pur purchase program that will again uh, do most of the heavy lifting as far as any additional quantitative easing is concerned. And also their um, much preferred targeted long term um, repo operations, they regarded as being a fairly significant success in helping these credit markets to keep very liquid over the course of the last few years. And it does look as if they might well bring in uh, some additional uh, Teltros over the course of the next few months and through next year as well. So it is and remains very much the case that as far as monetary policy is concerned, right across Europe at the moment, it's still extremely loose and looks pretty well guaranteed really it's going to get looser. How about the asset purchases now? What should we, uh, what do you think forecasters will be thinking about for no change in the ECB rate? Uh, and what kind of size are we talking about in QE? What, what would you guess? 
Well, they say in terms of interest rates, it's interesting that there still seems to be no particular, um, at least agreement anyway, in terms of the value of cutting interest rates again. And although Lagarde did intimate that you know, a reduction in what is currently the, the key rate, the deposit rate at minus 0.5% remains on the cards because going to look at all the available options, which I suppose central banks have to say these days. It is quantitative easing, which is going to take, uh, you know, do most of the work. So really, they have two main two main aspects of this at the moment. They have the pand pandemic emergency purchase program. Don't get my teeth around it. Uh, which currently stands at 1.35 trillion. Now that could easily, I'd be, I suspect, be raised up to something like one and a half trillion uh, without causing too many problems. There will be some hawks, of course, who you know, really didn't want to see the, the last increase in the PEP coming through anyway. Um, and they could, I suppose, at the margin, increase the old so-called asset purchase program, the APP fund, which uh, prior to the PEP you know, was the main QE vehicle. Now that currently stands stands at 20 billion of net asset purchases a month. It could be raised, but I don't know, at this stage, it still seems more like to me that most of the work will be done by the PEP. Having said which, they could be looking around to introduce some additional measures as well. We'll have to wait and see. But certainly, if we see Christine Lagarde now standing up on December the 10th and saying that, you know, we're going to leave policy where it is at the moment and have another look next year, financial markets in Europe are going to be hugely disappointed. So that next meeting is in December? That's on December the 10th. And December I guess I, sh I, sh I should add, because we, we've been talking about this for so many blooming weeks now, um, this uh, <laughs> European Union Commission, uh, their fiscal recovery, their, their fiscal stimulus package, which has been, I don't know, it's been going for such a long time now. Well, the, the good news last Tuesday was that the EU Parliament and governments reached agreement on the finer details of their, well, it comes under as part of their long-term budget. So it's part of their 2021 to uh, 2027 budget programme. And that's worth a total of 1.8 trillion. But a crucial part of this, of course, is the stimulus package, which amounts to some 750 billion euros. And as I mentioned, the EU Parliament and the government you know, ticked off some of the finer details which needed sorting out last week, only to be met by resistance from Hungary and Poland, both of whom have indicated they are not prepared to sign off on the budget because it includes clauses which make access to the disbursements of this fiscal package uh, conditional on respecting the rule of law. Now, the immediate reaction from the rest of the Commission was uh, to say, well, basically, there's no plan B for this trying to put pressure on Hungary and Poland to come out and say, all right, we will sign off on it. But it would seem at this stage anyway, the bottom line is that this long awaited program, which wasn't due to come into fruition until the beginning of next year, you know, is going to be delayed even further. So again, if you're poor old Christine Lagarde, who's been mm -hmm. banging the drum about the need for fiscal stimulus for such a long time now, yeah. she must be pulling her hair out. Well, it's interesting, you know, the contrast between monetary policy, which is kind of an authoritarian, you know, centralized bureaucracy, um, as opposed to these votes and democracy and differing political parties and differing views. Uh, monetary policy seems to, uh, uh, in, in an emergency, seems to be working, uh, you know, much more, um, it's, it has a much greater value than the um, dissent that you see on the fiscal sky. And speaking of dissent, I, I, I'd like to ask about Scotland. Now, I saw Boris Johnson, I guess he was quoted as saying that there is the word devolution for Scotland. Now, does devolution mean a looser 
um, federal uh, connection with it, England or it, go ahead. Yes, it, 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 well, it, it really that's, that's, that's quite a good way of putting it. Effectively, what's happened as part of the devolution process, um, Scotland and Ireland um, and Wales were given greater control over some aspects of policy. So not things like defence, but in terms of you know, the tax rates that they might set, um, where they're going to allocate their expend government expenditure and so on and so forth, um, which means that you know, Scotland will have its own budget. I mean, there are very much transfers coming out of Westminster, which go into Scotland. But nonetheless, it means that there's a good deal of authority, you know, d domestic authority, which the Scottish Parliament at Holyrood has now um, and ditto for the likes of Wales you know, and the other the other home countries. Now, um, the Conservative but, but, Party. It, it's such a negative word, devolution. I mean, it does. Was it intended to be a negative word all along? Well, uh, not really, I think, because the power, the, the complaints coming out of the likes of um, Wales and Scotland has been a power base has always been centred wholly upon Westminster. So what Westminster might say might be good for the likes of England. Um, it may not be perhaps quite so good for you know, the different types of economies you see in Scotland and in Wales and, and so on. So the idea was that the power would be devolved. So it would be devolved towards the likes of national parliaments in Scotland and Ireland. Wales. So it's not a case of it being um, you know, a, a, a negative um, word per se. It's mm -hmm. just the way the process was, was, was supposed mm -hmm. to be working. But now is it becoming, if, if now we, we had the uh, independence movement in Scotland, what was it, five, mm -hmm. half dozen years ago? They had a vote. I can't even remember, right? Yeah. But, and um, and they, they said no, right? But it wasn't by a great deal. And is this COVID situation increasing their? Um, 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 not well. It's not so much COVID. It's the other issue, which I'll sadly have to talk about again, and that's good old Brexit. So just um, what's happening at the moment is, as I'm for sure folks are aware, that the UK and the European Union are still trying to sort out what shape the the post Brexit deal trade relationship is going to be between the two regions. Um, both want to see a free trade deal, which essentially tries to maintain as much of the free trade as we have between the EU and the UK at the moment. But both are holding fast over certain conditions, particularly regarding access to UK fishing waters and looking at the extent to which uh, governments can help individual companies and so forth. Those um, issues of debate are still up for grabs at the moment. Now, the big worry as far as Scotland is concerned, because the deadline for these discussions, which originally we thought was going to be what a couple of weekends ago, if you believe what Boris Johnson was saying. But subsequently, we had some words coming out the EU suggesting that the talks could run perhaps until uh, this Thursday, which means that this deadline in any rate is getting very, very close now. So the worry for Scotland is that if we end up without a trade agreement, Scotland's going to come out of this very badly because a lot of its trade is with Scotland. The Scottish Nationalist Party, which is which has by far and away majority holding of the seats in the Scottish Parliament, is by definition a national party. It wants to see effectively independence from England, but more importantly, at the moment, it wants to maintain its relationship with the European Union. It wants to be part of the EU. So what it's concerned about now is that if uh, the Brexit 
Um, and they have a majority in, within uh, Scotland? Yes, yeah, Scot- yes, the Scottish National Party have a big majority in their Scottish Parliament. The Conservatives are second, um, but off the top of my head, is some, the Scottish Nats have something like 60-odd seats, and the Conservatives are, are somewhere in the 30s. And this so is a, a quasi-independence movement of some yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's, a Scottish, it's an individual party which ostensibly stands for Scottish nationalism. But as you mentioned uh, several years ago now, when they held a referendum, uh, the majority of Scotland voted to to maintain its um, you know being remains being part of the United Kingdom. Now the Scottish Nats are still hoping that they can have a second referendum next year. Um, on the particularly now bolstered by the view of Scottish Scotland as a whole was very much pro-European Union. So the UK is obviously now out of the European Union. It will be losing its current trading relationship at the end of this year when the transition period expires. And so the Scottish nationalists under Nicola Sturgeon, he's the first minister up there, is hoping to push the idea that, well, look, if there's no post-Brexit trade agreement as well, then really we desperately need to get back into the European Union. To do that, we need to have to become divorced from the rest of the UK and Scotland becomes its own country. But that's, you know, historically, um, is is this a peak? I mean, going back hundreds of years, is this a peak in the sense of Scottish nationalism? Well, in many ways, yes, it probably is, I think, as as countries have evolved. So the the idea of self-determination becomes that much more important. But it's a hugely complex issue for all sorts of different reasons, and not least just in terms of the mechanics and the technical details of how how would Scotland rejoin the EU in the first place? Because they come out and intimated that they would continue to use um, the pound sterling as their currency. But the pound sterling is a UK currency, which is not part of the European Union. So how could they be part of the European Union and yet have a currency of a member of rather of a country which is not a member? Mm-hmm. So it is. It's, it's hugely complex. Um, but yes, it's something which is causing some big problems for Boris Johnson at the moment. Um, as he mentioned, unfortunately, yesterday's quoted in some transcript as saying that uh, devolution for Scotland had been a disaster which is not the best way of smoothing our relations at a time when, well, there's something of a political meltdown in um, Parliament, I should say, in Downing Street last week when uh, Boris Johnson lost two of his most senior advisers. Uh-huh. And that was all the more badly time for him uh-huh. because the two guys who'd left were really the two main architects behind the original push for Brexit. Uh-huh. And, and, course, the com- and one of them was the Cummings guy? Yeah, that's right. And, well, you know, he's good with the pictures, with the box. And then also when he was caught um, uh, not uh, confining himself, he came out with his with his daughter's bicycle. Did you see that? Yes. Oh, he's, <laughs> he's gonna, gonna, is, he, is he going to be – he should be in the movies. I don't know. Right? Well, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen, but it sounds like there was a major political storm which blew up within Downing Street. And Cummings in particular is not known as someone who keeps quiet about these things. So there's talk that uh, the senior advisors on Boris Johnson's team now are really running scared that uh, Cummings will introduce a blog and start you know, attacking, the, attacking the government and so on. So uh, politically speaking at the moment, it's um, it's something of a policy vacuum within uh, 10 Downing Street at just the time when these Brexit talks or trade talks, I should say, are supposed to be completed. So it really does suggest, you know, sterling asset markets should remain very volatile 
um, you know, over the foreseeable future, really, because no one's clear what's going to happen. I should say, though, just in passing, there were some reports today um, that the EU Parliament has come out and said that they could delay their vote on a trade deal if we could agree one until the 28th of December. So that's just three days before you know, the end of the transition period itself. Now, I guess that kind of ind indicates that no one really expects this trade deal, if there is to be one, to be announced this week, despite all the talk. Um, but it also suggests that you know, both sides really, really want to get one because of you know, the COVID issues in particular now, which are you know, widely expect to see fourth quarter UK GDP go back into contraction. But, you know, you were saying extending a deadline. It can't be done anymore, right? I mean, isn't January 1st the absolute, that's it? Oh, that's it. it. Well, the thing is, I mean, the, 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 the belief was that originally was it uh, November the 15th was the deadline because the talk was that even if they can agree a deal then, it's got to be ratified by all the various you know, European Union um, parliaments, which takes time. And we know that from just look what's happening with this covid rescue plan at the moment mm -hmm. so the view was that november the 15th was a deadline and then the eu came out last week intimated well that we can stretch it through to the you know this this thursday um on the grounds that perhaps you know they can shorten the process somehow and now they're intimating it because european parliament's got to vote on this they could perhaps hang out until the end of the year but so it really is it's anybody's guess at the moment as to how this is going to go but it it doesn't look too clever it's got to be said do you see the the risk of a jolt in UK asset prices of some kind up or down? I think if they can actually come out and the I think to be honest, as we've said before, I think the way traders um, have been um, pricing the pound, it still looks as if they've got this kind of un underlying belief that a deal will be done because bottom line is that most sides knows that they're going to lo lose if there isn't one. Um, but yes, so to that extent, I think particularly if there's a no deal, I think the pound could be hit quite hard. Um, if they come out and say, yes, we've got a deal, then at least I think there's scope for some kind of initial bounce in the pound. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of walking a tightrope at the moment as far as you know, trading the pound's concerned. In, speaking of trading the pound, is there a, a, an information system or um, a recognizable form of how this information is going to be imparted to the markets? Will it just be an announcement from Brussels or will Boris Johnson just make a comment or how will this work? Well, there'll be, I suspect, an announcement coming out from both sides. Now, the talk, as I mentioned, it looked as if a deadline had been shifted to this Thursday because that's when there will be a video call between the EU leaders. And they were then hoping to come out and say, like, OK, you know, we've agreed a deal with the UK. And presumably at the same time, the UK put out a communique. So it's obviously not part of the EU. We won't be part of that meeting. Yeah, just at least putting out the broad the broad guidelines is what the deal might look like so um, would there be a, a press conference time that the eu might say something and would that time well there also may be, be in london as well or there may be but to be honest at this stage since we don't know as and when and if mm -hmm. there's going to be a deal in the first place it's quite simply impossible to say you know a day let alone you know, what time it might be. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could be the case if it goes right to the dead, you know, the wire, as it seems to be every week now, mm -hmm. but it gets to the final wire, whatever that may might be, you know, some announcement comes out at midnight because they're still, that's just when they finish talking about it. It's literally a case of when they can get any kind of agreement. Would it come out in the form of a, of a press release from an institution or is it going to be from a policymaker? Uh, well, uh, it'd be, there'll, there'll be a press release coming out of um, the EU commission um, from Brussels, and um, I suspect one out of Downing Street as well from our side. 
But say at the moment, don't hold your breath because mm-hmm. uh, you'd have died quite a while ago. OK, um, <laughs> let's just round off some of this stuff outside of uh, I think that's probably most what we really want to talk about for, for the UK. Really, it really is back to Brexit again. Elsewhere, then, just on the uh, central bank front, we should mention the uh, the RBNZ, the Kiwi Central Bank. Last week, they held their um, key interest rate, the official cash rate at a record low of 0.25. And they maintain their QE, a so-called large scale asset program at 100 billion New Zealand dollars. But they did also launch a uh, an additional 28 billion funding for lending program and that's a bit like um, a number of central banks do these days which offer banks um, effectively cheap funding with a view to them on lending that to uh, the business uh, well commercial banking community so that's an additional step towards them but negative interest rates as far as they're concerned off the table at the moment and for people looking for better news, I suppose China, we should just quickly mention some of their figures which have just come out. Um, decent figures on retail sales, industrial production, and indeed some sign of pickup in business investment as well. Uh, just quickly, the, the retail sales, these are all for October, up 4.3% on the year. That's after 3.3%. Industrial reduction, that was held flat, but at a decent 6.9%. And fixed asset investment, as they call it, that was up 1.8% after 0.8%. And that's important because I think where you do look at um, I'll assume from what's happening on your side, but um, looking at a lot of these countries where we've had these record growth numbers in the third quarter, which, of course, is no surprise because of what happened in the second quarter. Mm. But for a number of them, you know, UK included, there was a negative figure on business investment. And that's true in the likes of Japan, which uh, came out earlier on this week. Mm. Uh, that was what minus, I can't remember, minus 3.4 percent, if I remember right, for third quarter. Is that true of the States? Because, you know, if no. we don't get the investment coming back, it's not good news it's, for future output i've noticed that too that there is a separation uh yeah, at least with asia i'm not so sure with europe but uh, definitely um here the investment readings whether they're capital goods in um uh, in the durable goods orders factory orders or just today we had the business equipment uh, uh, category of the industrial production report or uh, the the different uh, regional manufacturing surveys on um, on uh, their on business outlook, it's they're investing and and it's uh, um, I don't have the numbers here right right in front of me, but I think that the percentage changes are in the mid single digits above where it was in February, so uh, it is a, it is a contrast and uh, how how is that how is that playing out in Europe? Well, as ever, we have a national accounts for Europe come through, continental Europe come through a lot slower, particularly from the States, but even for the UK as well. So we don't actually have third quarter numbers yet. But from looking at some of the individual national accounts from uh, various member countries, it looks as at best business investment is going to be very weak. And I think that's one of the you know, the main issues which is troubling policymakers, be it in the UK or on the continent at the moment. You know, it's going to even if they can get the the level of output back to where it was in in February before mm-hmm. the crisis hit. You know, the danger is that if we're not investing now, yeah. then uh, productive potential in the future is going to be undermined that much. So right, and that good. would give the US a big advantage. If business Indeed. is gearing up after the after the COVID crisis. They'll be in gear and ready to go with their new equipment. And um, and have a have a step up, so that's yeah. a possibility. Agree. I mean, certainly something to keep an eye on. I think so. Not so much on the uh, the short term, but uh, the long term growth outlook. Yeah, it's going to be hugely important. 
Okay. Um, any else from your side? No, I mean, I I think we've gone on enough for this week. <laughs> oh, we have. Uh, looking at the time, yes, I think we probably have. Sorry about that, listeners. I'm going to dodge that. Um, <laughs> okay, and so um, that's it. Is that is it, Len, for this week? Um, on behalf of Mark and myself, thanks as ever for listening. Remember to keep up to date with all the key market moving data and events in Econoday's global economic calendar. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time. Bye for now. <laughs>